Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Et euh, maintenant, le sujet suivant sur Chopper's Politics, le podcast. Where do you sit on the Gary Lineker issue when he compares the language around this to Nazi Germany? I, I don't agree on that and I wouldn't use those words. I think there's always going to be a, a debate. Bonjour, je m'appelle Christopher Up or Christophe Esper, the associate editor for politics at the Daily Telegraph. And welcome to Chopper's Politics or Politiques de Chopper. That's enough French, isn't it? No, your ears aren't deceiving you. I sprinkled a bit of my best French in there for you because Rishi Sunak is meeting with Emmanuel Macron in Paris today, capping a busy fortnight for the Prime Minister when he has taken the big steps to sort out two of the most difficult political issues facing the UK. Last week it was Brexit in Northern Ireland, and this week it's illegal migration. So in this week's episode of Chopper's Politics podcast, we'll be discussing whether Rishi Sunak's new illegal migration bill will do what it says and stop the flow of migrants in small boats across the English Channel with a supporter and a critic. Now, Damien Green is one of those moderate Tory MPs in the party, a former de facto Deputy Prime Minister to Theresa May and a Kent MP. He should be against the plans, but he loves them. He'll tell us why. And as Mr Sunak meets with Emmanuel Macron in Paris, we'll ask Telegraph columnist Anne-Elizabeth Moutet in Paris whether this is the start of a entente cordiale with France. But first, the Tories are hoping that these migration plans will expose clear policy differences with Labour and resonate in the crucial Red Wall, which will do so much to decide who wins the next general election. Is Labour worried? Well, with me now is Yvette Cooper, the Shadow Home Secretary. Yvette Cooper, welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. It's great to have thank you, you on. Thank you for having We've me. We've thrown out the pub for a booking and now in your office. And thank you for accommodating us with your Lego red roses in front I of know, you. I they're which great, you'll see aren't on they? social media later. How would a Labour government stop 80,000 illegal migrants coming to the UK if it were in government this year? Well, the dangerous boat crossings are a huge problem. It's undermining our border security and also putting lives at risk. Mm. So we need action to stop the boat crossings. And that's why I think at the start you have to go after the criminal gangs because those smuggler gangs have proliferated. If you go back three or four years, they just weren't operating in the channel like this. And they have expanded in a very short period of time. They've been allowed to get away with it, mm. uh, to just operate with impunity. You've got to go after the gangs. At the moment, the government isn't doing that, and that's why we would set up a new cross-border police unit to go after the gangs. It needs to be a substantial unit to work with the French authorities, to work with Europol, to work across Europe, but also to work in the UK, because, mm. look, we do hear reports that, one, according to one report, three-quarters of the smugglers are in the UK. We know there's also been these problems around the children that have gone missing from asylum hotels, almost certainly picked up by gangs. So the first main thing is to go after the gangs, but we also need new return agreements and new arrangements, particularly with France and other European countries. That's got to be a priority for the Macron-Sunak summit that's taking place. 
and we have got to have an overhaul of the asylum system which includes fast-tracking cases to safe countries like Albania as well and some other reforms to the resettlement schemes and to work internationally to handle and prevent some of these crises. That was a long answer. Sorry. Well, yes, yeah, so it's, it's a big policy. Isn't the yeah. government doing most of that already? They're seeking these agreements, aren't they? They're talking to France a lot more. There's a good uh, connection, it seems, between Sunak and Macron. That's all happening. And yet, you know, the Tories would say, well, there's still a problem here with we can't get people out of the country because of, you know, human rights issues. Well, let's take each of these in turns. First of all, look, I hope they do get a returns agreement with France. That is the test of this summit. It will be a total failure if the Prime Minister does not get a proper returns agreement, proper new arrangements with France and with other countries. We also, however, there are other things they should be doing that they're not. So the response on the criminal gangs, the number of convictions for the smuggler gangs, it has halved in the last four years. Mm. So it has got worse just at a time when we've seen the gangs proliferate and increase their activity. The prosecutions and the convictions, the work to go after them, has really plummeted. Mm. Mm. So, look, there are individual operations underway, but it's nothing on the scale that it needs to be. So I don't think they're doing enough on that. And if they don't, nothing else will work. The third area that they're not still not operating on is they could be doing fast track returns on safe countries now. They're still not. They're trying to. Yeah, but they say they're trying to. But why? Why is it not happening? They're not actually running a safe countries fast track at the moment. So gives you an example. Last month, only 15 people were returned who had come on small boats. So of all of the people who arrived on small boats, only 15 were returned last month, even though we know that around you know, 10,000 people arrived from Albania mm. on small boats, and that is designated as a safe country. That's why I think this is just not working. The Tories clearly think this is one of the areas they can beat Labour on going to the next election. The attacks on lefty lawyers, you heard from the Prime Minister in PMQs, is that offensive to lawyers or do you understand the frustration with the system that seems to be weighted in favour of people who come here illegally and against natural justice? I think the problem is that it just looks like the government is ending up trying to to go for political rhetoric on this rather than sort out the problem. Mm -hmm. So we should all be clear, all of us should want the dangerous boat crossings to stop. So the question is, what are the practical things that we can do to actually deliver that because to be honest if you go back I mean you know Pretty Patel said that they would halve the crossings and then that they would disappear altogether and that didn't happen we have had many years of a lot of rhetoric about mm. it but I just think you've got to be common sense and practical about what are the things you need to do to sort so it out. The problem out. isn't a human rights issue here it's just an enforcement issue. Well, I think there's a whole series of areas where yeah. there's the for- enforcement's not taking place, and for example, seeking, yeah, yeah. and they're not speeding things up and they're not going after the gangs. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I think most people across Britain want to feel that our country is the kind of country where we have strong border security and we have a properly controlled and managed asylum system mm. so that we do our bit alongside other countries to help people fleeing the from the asylum persecution. Go back years, but I at mean, the moment, it's not, it's not working. We've yeah. not got either. We've got the chaos yeah. in the asylum system and we haven't got the border security because they're not going after the gangs. And gang- that's the problem. Some people are upset that Labour aren't pushing back harder on the rhetoric on migrants. Is that because you know it cuts through in the Red Bull seats you need to win at the election? So I'm really practical about this. 
I look at what it is that will make the difference. Mm. What is it that will solve problems? And at the moment, what I can see is a set of policies that are not going to solve problems and actually risk making things worse. And, you know, look, one of the other areas I think that has been an issue is around they've got the huge backlog because decisions collapsed they halved their decisions and as part of that we've then got a very inappropriate and very costly hotel use but the trouble is when we look at the detail of what they're proposing it looks like they're going to make that worse as well because what they're proposing to do is to say we won't take any decisions on any asylum claims at all so we'll just stop cancel those decisions but because they don't have return agreements In fact, people are going to end up, as the bill says, they're going to end up going into asylum accommodation. So there'll be more people going into asylum accommodation and going in indefinitely. So it looks as though that is going to mean tens of thousands more people going into asylum accommodation rather than actually getting a grip and sorting the problem out. Not being processed, because they'll just be there indefinitely, Mm. according to this bill, because this bill won't make any asylum decisions anymore. This bill will challenge and test the ECHR. Do you think it's right? that happens are you comfortable with the kind of activism we're seeing in in the Strasbourg court to be honest I don't think that's the the central issue with this look things like the ECHR it underpins the Good Friday agreement it's important that we should be you know part of international frameworks and you know actually Britain has always played a leading role in those international frameworks exactly so I think that it's important that we should continue to play a role on the international stage and to do so but I just don't think that is the reason why we've got the problem with boat crossings I think the real core of this is you've got criminal gangs being allowed to operate and being allowed to to increase and, and expand and nothing being done about it. Where do you sit on the Gary Lineker issue when he compares the language around this to Nazi Germany is that appropriate? I don't agree on that, and I wouldn't use those words. Should he lose his job at the BBC? I think don't think any MP, free country I don't, exactly, I mean. exactly. Well, I think there's always going to be a, a debate, yes. and people have got their own views in a debate. I think if MPs start telling the BBC what to do, I just think that is totally the wrong thing. And I think, look, we should just recognise there's going to be strong debate about this, isn't there? Mm. And lots of people are going to have views. And the issue is what what are the practical things that we need to do about it? You're worried about modern slavery. You think what's coming up from the government is not appropriate. Well, the government has also put these provisions in, which means that if you've got someone, for example, who has been trafficked into prostitution, a young woman who's been trafficked into prostitution, maybe from Vietnam or from Sudan, what this bill means is that unless the police have a live investigation going, those young women will get no support and also no ability to be as part of the modern slavery system that Theresa May set up. Now, I had lots of arguments with Theresa May over very many years. We were first on the select committee together over 25 years ago, and we've argued about many things ever since through the years. But I think the work that she did on the modern slavery was pioneering and was world-leading. It's not perfect in different ways. There are different reforms that need to be made to improve it, but it was, I think, really important. And it was important that the Conservatives did that and led the way. And my fear is that this rips it up completely because it says trafficking, trafficking into prostitution is effectively no longer going to be counted as modern slavery unless there is a live police investigation underway and the victim is cooperating fully with that investigation. But if the investigation stops... 
What happens to that young woman? Okay, but critics say it's been abused, hasn't it, to allow overstayers to stay here in the UK? So part of the problem is there's a huge long delay. So the modern slavery provisions don't prevent someone being removed who has no right to be here, Mm. but there is a problem with the long delays in the system. So sort out the delays. Mm. You know, there are certainly things that should be done to improve that, and I'm sure that Theresa May would agree that as well. Mm. Of course as you try different bits of legislation you need to improve them so certainly make reforms but don't end up with a blanket ban on young women who've been trafficked getting any kind of support at all simply because there's not a police investigation underway i just think that is going backwards on all of the work that Theresa may did we expect the second reading on on monday i think next week on this migration bill when labor votes against it the Tories will say you're soft on immigration how do you respond to that We've set out the clear things we want to do, which is go after the gangs, including the smuggler gangs, but also the trafficking gangs. Because the other problem is what this bill does is it is effectively a license for trafficking gangs because all of those trafficking gangs, they will now know that actually there's going to be no safeguards. There's going to be no investigations into them as a result of this. So that is my worry that I think what this bill does is this bill ends up being soft on the trafficking gangs and soft on the criminal gangs. What would success look like for Labour government on immigration? Would it be Mm. cutting numbers to tens of thousands on net migration or is it cutting the 80,000 who would come on over in small boats to a few thousand? What is success in 2028 for so a, I think a, for the, only been there for four yeah, years? Yeah, the, these, are, these are very different issues and they should be treated separately. Okay. There's the separate legal yes, migration debate and then okay. there's the But there are two, there are two numbers there. The things, yeah. so what, I think, what are your targets? Yeah, net migration we do expect to come down but there is a separate debate and we have said things about the needing to have more training for example yep. to deal with some of the skills shortages and also there's particular reasons why the numbers have been very high at the moment so tens of thousands because of Ukraine and family and so members too. But I don't think that's the right approach. The, uh, you know, you had David Cameron tried to set a target and it totally failed. Interesting, he said no ifs no buts about mm-hmm. that target. And Swilla Braben told me on my podcast tens of thousands last October. Yeah, but, I, but you know, she seems to want to go back to it. I think other yes. members of the government have realised okay. that. Illegal migration. The separate issues about what's happening with the boats, that we have to just do everything we can to stop the boat crossings. Look, I I do hope that the government will listen to some of the things that we've called for, including the fast track, things that they could do right now. They don't need to wait. But would this stop them altogether? Would it stop the boats? To quote Rishi Sunak, would your plan stop the boats? I think that has to be our objective, is actually to to stop all of the boat crossings and prevent the boat crossings because they're putting lives at risk and because they undermine border security. But I think that has to be a comprehensive effort. And everybody also should recognise, you know, look, this is something that there isn't a single measure that's going to solve. You need lots of different things in place. But look, I think the government's plan... I just don't think it's going to deliver this at all. And my fear is it's going to make things much, much worse. We're going to end up not having the proper border security we need, but also not having the kind of just a sensible, properly controlled and managed asylum system that Mm. means that refugees both, you know, get support that Britain does its bit alongside other countries. And would Labour repeal the, the illegal migration bill? So we'll look at what legislation's needed once all of the legislation changes have taken place. We do expect uh, there to be changes that will be needed, but we'll look at all of the legislation once, once we get to the election. Is the election now Labour's to lose? 
I think there's a lot of work to do and we will be absolutely doing that. We have seen, you've seen under Keir's leadership, a huge transformation in the Labour Party. I think we've had an awful lot of rebuilding that we've done. Well, you're back it in was, the fold. You weren't those years under Corbyn, but now you're back. No, that's right. And I'm, I'm back as part of the team. We've got, I think, a really good, strong shadow cabinet team who are ready to go into government, who mm. are ready to take difficult decisions about the things that the country needs but also to get us back on track because to be honest to me it feels like so much across our country is broken right now it feels like so much all from our the state of our economy or our public services and and so on and I just think you know we've just got such a strong country we can be better than this and that's what a Labour government wants to do but you know we know there's a lot of work between now and the election to do and we will keep doing that well thank you for having us this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast great to see you thank you thank you Yvette Cooper there now coming up after the break why does Damien Green one of the most left to centre Tory MPs in the party back the crackdown on legal migration stay tuned war in Ukraine is reshaping our world for the past 12 months the Telegraph's team of experts in London and correspondents on the ground have been analysing Putin's invasion of Ukraine every weekday on the Ukraine The Latest podcast. With over 24 million listens, Ukraine The Latest is the go-to source for up-to-date analysis on the war from every angle. Military, humanitarian, political, economic, historical, just to name a few. Each episode, we unpack the past 24 hours of the conflict, as well as regularly being joined by our own on-the-ground correspondents and guests who take us into their own experience of the war. Search for Ukraine The Latest in the same place you're listening to this podcast and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening. And we're back. Now, Damien Green, the chairman of the One Nation Tory caucus, sits on the left wing of the Conservative Party as a Remainer and a former critic of Boris Johnson. But he backs this immigration crackdown. Why? Damien Green joins me now in the Red Lion pub. Damien, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Good morning. Good morning. You're the leader of the moderate Tory group, the One Nation Caucus, and you wrote a really good piece in the Telegraph this week supporting this crackdown on immigration. How do you square that circle? Well, I think cracking down, as you put it, on immigration or having a controlled immigration system is an important part of creating a cohesive society, which as a One Nation Conservative is what I strive to do. And it's also informed by my own experience. I was Shadow Immigration Minister for five years and then Immigration Minister for two years. And I observed in the Blair Brown years where there was as government policy, huge amounts of immigration, or half a million a year, year after year, a combination of asylum seekers and economic migrants, that actually the speed of that caused huge dislocation in communities, particularly disadvantaged communities. And that was the time when deeply unpleasant Political parties like the BNP were rampant, were winning council seats in East London and other parts of the country. And I don't want to return to those days. And actually, if you have an immigration system that's under control, people recognise that, yes, it's good to bring people overseas to fill working shortages. And indeed, that we have an obligation to people whose lives are genuinely in danger, Ukraine, Afghanistan, places like that, Syria, that we should take 
asylum seekers from there, but that you can't allow that system to be exploited by people who are trying to use it as a way into this country when, frankly, they're probably not genuine refugees. And you, and you see this issue, don't you, for yourself in your Kent constituency, Ashford. But are you happy that this idea from Rishi Sunak, this new bill, pushes the boundaries of what's acceptable under the ECHR? Well, I think testing the boundaries is one thing. Breaking the ECHR would be another thing. I mean, for me, I think it's important that Britain as a country meets its international obligations. We have signed, indeed, you know, British lawyers wrote a lot of the ECHR. So I, I absolutely don't think we should leave it. And, and mm. as countries like sort of Belarus have done, yes. you know, we don't, we don't want to do that. But I think that, you know, the government has a valid point to say some of the ways it operates now are questionable. On justice grounds, these Article 39 hearings where you can have an injunction put on you, which is given by a judge who's anonymous and where you're not allowed to make submissions. I'm not a lawyer, but that breaks the laws of natural justice. Mm. And so I think changing the ECHR, which it does all the time anyway, it's an evolving document. I think that's an entirely legitimate thing for the British government to try to do. So testing the ECHR rather than leaving it is okay. If the Tory party fought the next election on leaving the ECHR or reviewing membership, would you still be a Tory candidate? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd want to be a Tory candidate at the next election, and I don't want the Tory party to promise to leave the ECHR. And I think, and from everything both the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary have said, is that there is no intention of doing that. So that seems to me a perfectly sensible position. Didn't Theresa May fight the 2017 election on some similar policy? Well, it wasn't to leave the ECHR. It was a review, was it? It was, it was, yes. I mean, and, and as I say, I think it's perfectly reasonable. As I say, there, there are instances where I feel, hang on, this is breaking natural justice. So I don't think the ECHR is necessarily a perfect document, but to have as your aim to leave it would seem to me that would do, I mean, it'd be wrong and it would be do huge damage to our international reputation. Do you think this will be a deterrent? The point of the policy, as you argue in your piece of Telegraph, which we'll put into the show notes for this episode for listeners to read for themselves, you make the point that this policy is meant to put people off from coming. And if so, how soon can numbers fall in five years? Where, where might numbers be, do you think? I mean, it's impossible to predict numbers because who knows what will happen around the world. But I do think there are signs already that the numbers of people coming from Albania have started reducing, partly because we started returning people to Albania. And you know, frankly, if you've come over here and six months later, you tip up back in your local bar to say, well, I spent thousands of pounds, but here I am back here, then that will itself act as a deterrent. And that was as we know, a third of the people who came over last year. So I don't think there's going to be a single magic bullet or it's going to be like turning off a tap. I think that would be unrealistic. But I think steady downward pressure will mean that people will see that this tough policy is necessary. Where do you sit on the Gary Lineker issue? He's described language around this policy as something from Nazi Germany. Well, I, I think anyone who uses language like that in any political context about a democratic party is always wrong. And Invoking always... the Nazis is always wrong, isn't it? In exactly. Day politics, exactly. Right? If, you're, if you're doing that, you haven't got an argument, basically. So I think Gary Lineker is not as sophisticated a political commentator uh, as he thinks he is. And I think that he's clearly a serial offender. He is pushing the boundaries. I sometimes think, is he, is he trying to get the BBC to fire him? Because he could go and earn that money from other people. Does he, he wants to be a martyr, I think. But stepping back from what Lineker says, and you said that he's not a political person, is there a freedom of speech issue? Shouldn't he be allowed to say what he wants to say? 
and not get sacked? Or should he be sacked? Well, he, he should be allowed to say what he wants to say. It's a free country. But there are BBC guidelines, which, I mean, in the, the way of the BBC, <laughs> there are guidelines and there's guidance. Apparently the guidelines are for staff members. The guidance are for And you used to work there. You know what this means. I, 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 well, I, I, I used to be a journalist and every BBC journalist I've spoken to has said, oh, yeah, if I said anything like that, I would be fired on you know, that day. Yes. So it, it's perfectly clear. There are different rules for freelance sports presenters. But as I say, I'm not, thank the Lord, BBC management. But if I were BBC management, I would be thinking, this guy is doing it deliberately now. Mm. He's ratcheting it up. We've warned him before and he keeps doing it. Should he be sacked? Yes or no? I don't think that's my uh, judgment to make, uh, but I do, I do, I do think something should happen. I think this idea that they're just going to talk to him is not enough because frankly, if, if, if he said, I'm never going to do this again, I'm, I'm not sure I would trust him to do that because he's, he's been told that before and he keeps doing it. Now you served at the very top of government. You were a former de facto, whatever that means, or deputy prime minister serving for Theresa May. Do you think Rishi Sunak has what it takes to be a good PM, an election winning PM? Yes, I do. And I think, with every week that passes, and let's not forget he's not been Prime Minister for very long, and he inherited a position of utter chaos inside the Conservative Party. I think he's shown that. And he said he knows what, what the big problems facing Britain are, and he is is working through them one by one. You know, the next big event is clearly the budget. So I'm tremendously impressed. And also in, in the private meetings I've had and, and other colleagues have had with him, he has an extraordinary mastery of detail. He yes. is across everything. I, mean, I see it as, as PM by management consultancy. Do you think that's enough to inspire your members in Ashford to fight for your election next year? Um, well, I, th- I think it's it's unfair to say it's it's sort of government by by management consultancy. It's more than that, and and he's shown over the boats issue that we've been discussing that you know he is prepared to take tough decisions and Brexit last week, and indeed you know, the Northern Ireland Protocol. He will take on big issues. He will come to a sensible conclusion, and he will drive that through. And that that's what you want in a prime minister. Is it though, or do you want someone who can inspire? Now you're a big critic of Boris Johnson and for all his faults, which are many, and we know what they are. He did inspire people to turn out on a wet Tuesday night in Stoke in a way which Rishi Sunak may not. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone has different different virtues, but I do think that one of the things that that Rishi will do is embody modern conservatism, which is actually what inspires people who are conservative inclined to go out. I, you know, I think his parents' backstory, they are people yeah. who came to this country to make the best of their no lives yeah. and, and have done so. And that's my vision of an opportunity society, which I think only conservatism can deliver. I mean, that's what One Nation Conservatism is about. It's partly about keeping the country together, but it's also about providing opportunity, you know, maybe for people who come from other countries or people who come from disadvantaged areas of this country. If they can all get on, if they think society is fair, I think fairness Fairness. is the absolute key to this, then that inspires people to get out and vote. So what's the offer of the election maybe next year? Is it certainty, guaranteed competency under Rishi Sunak and risk under Labour? Is that, that that's what the debate is going to be? It's more than that. I mean, I, I, I take the, the, the underlying point of your question that you need a bit of a bit of sun lit up plans and, and what are we going to do? And I think, you know, Rishi's vision of a high tech, you know, seizing areas like artificial intelligence to make sure that Britain is a world leader in that, that will provide the jobs and prosperity of the future for everyone. And, and we do need to inspire people. And talk of replacing him this autumn? 
nonsense. B, it would be political <laughs> madness. We have had enough psychodrama in the Tory party for this parliament. Uh, just about local, some local psychodrama. How are you doing? You haven't been selected by Wheel of Kent in the next election. Will you go to the members and appeal that? Uh, I'm going to go for the other half of my current seat, the new Ashford seat. Yes. Uh, and I will put myself forward for that. To, to the executive? Yes. And see where that takes you. There were reports that at the time when Wheel of Kent executive committee of the Tory party there rejected you. It was a revenge over Boris Johnson. Is that true? There, there was no sign of that at the meeting at all. So no, no that, was, just, that was a, a, a post hoc rationalisation, if I'm allowed to of course. revert to Latin uh, in this upmarket podcast. Um, so no, people, people sort of put their own interpretation on it, but, but there wasn't a mention of that at the meeting. So no plans to enter the laws just yet? Uh, no, <laughs> I, 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 I enjoy, I think it's a really important job. I enjoy being a member of parliament and I would like to continue doing so. Damien Green, MP for Ashford, and maybe the future MP of Ashford too. Thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, as I said, Richie Sunak is in Paris today with a meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron to discuss his crackdown on migration and the Brexit talks in Northern Ireland. But how has this migration deal gone down in France? With me now is Anne-Elizabeth Moutet, a Telegraph columnist based in Paris. Bonjour. Bonjour to Paris. Now listen quickly, how has this deal gone down in France, this Rishi Sunak plan to combat illegal migration to the UK shores from France? Well, it's not seen as such a big deal for France because whereas for England, it's the point of entry, France has actually got over 3,000 kilometers of land border and 5,000 kilometers of sea borders, and they can come in from almost everywhere. So we ourselves see several hundreds of thousands of illegal migrants try to come in every year. We understand the British problem very well. There has been actually an effort from both sides. There have been extra gendarmes allotted to trying and stop migrants, but you now find migrants over two or three departements and, and something like a hundred miles or more of coastline. And when you've got even 50 gendarmes who are doing nothing but that, and you pay their salaries and the teams and everything, it still is not that much. It's not something that the French are satisfied with. But yes, I mean, what you think we do all the time, there's an element of shrugging here. But exactly like in Britain, you've got the official voice, things that people agree to say or mostly to write, you know, something must be done, it must be humane, everything. And you've got people who end up voting for extreme parties who are not happy with it very often because they live in the places where the migrants come. It's like in Britain, it's a complicated debate because... You don't want to sound like a horrible Nazi. Uh, we don't have Gary Lineker, but we've got plenty of people who can say the same thing. Let's don't mention a war, Anne Elizabeth. It gets <laughs> everyone in trouble. And of course, today, Friday, Rishi Sunak and, and Emmanuel Macron will meet in Paris. There was a, a quite a good relationship there that wasn't there with Boris Johnson, isn't there, between Macron and Sunak? Well, I would say that, yes, not being Boris is an infinite amount of goodwill on the ledger for Rishi in France, because there has been this sort of rapid succession of prime ministers that the French did not understand. You had uh, Theresa May, who was a bit matron, and then you had Boris, who they, you know, it was, it was 
uh, impossible for the French to get their heads around the idea of Boris, and they did not understand his jokes. And then you had Liz Truss, who said the first thing she said very diplomatically was that she wasn't sure that Macron was a friend or foe. So, you know, they see someone who looks reasonable, who, like Macron, is a merchant banker, although there's a difference between the two. Because Rishi Sunak is someone who went to business school, he's someone who actually studied the technicalities of finance and economics, and he was at Goldman Sachs to structure the financing of, of takeovers, deals, you name it. And Macron was at Rothschilds, and what he was really was, I mean, he comes from the French civil service, but he was a kind of luxury pilot fish. He had all these contacts at the Treasury because he'd been to a postgraduate school at ENA uh, with them, and, and these people, he could speak their language, which, especially for a foreign bank, but even for a French merchant bank, it is invaluable to have somebody who knows what the officialdom will not buy at any price and what can be explained and in what terms you explain something that sounds complex. Yes, and that, of course, they're the same height, aren't they, as well? Well, everybody... Uh, broadly or so, give or take an inch. Everybody, everybody sort of, sort of, you know, takes this in, but I don't think it matters half as much as you <laughs> think it does. Poor Sarkozy was the one who bought shoes with heels, but the others don't care. <laughs> I'm probably being a, being a bit cheeky mentioning that. But, but I mean, so we may see that, the, we may see talk of the birth of Le Special Relationship, <laughs> to use my appalling franglais, is that right? Uh, uh, la Relation Speciale. Ah, it's, right. it, of course, in Britain, it all sort of hangs on the, on the special relationship between Roosevelt and Churchill, such as it was. What we do say when we're happy with somebody English is l'entente cordiale. And that said with the 7th in 1903, and it actually helped a great deal uh, after it centuries in which the French had fought the British. At the end of the day, I would, I, you know, there are things that will not change, but there are things that will change. The other thing that Rishi Sunak has for himself is that he seems to have found a solution to the Northern Ireland Protocol. And you can say this is flawed, but essentially the French think, okay, here is someone who sat down in goodwill and he's worked on it. And, and they came out with something relatively quickly. And the EU made a gesture as well. So there was a point in which people sat down, smiled at one another, started working and got a result. And that is so different from our experience of Brexit since 2016. And Anne Elizabeth, what is it, do you think, between the French and the Brits that winds up both sides so much? We are at polar opposites about things. There are lots of things in which we're in complete agreement. You you actually acknowledge that we can cook stuff. You, we acknowledge that you can buy our wine. And, <laughs> uh, you know, in military matters, we're in much better terms than in almost anything else. But there's also a sort of general annoyance uh, for small things. I will say one thing, specifically on Rishi Sunak and Emmanuel Macron, it's that they both are very different animals. And Emmanuel Macron, especially the way he is uh, a merchant becker, which I, I just mentioned, he will look at every moment of that discussion for something in which he can do Sunak in. It's it's like the scorpion in, in the Middle East fable. And the frog. Yeah, the scorpion and the frog. And it's the frog who's the scorpion and it's the Brit who's the frog. Yeah, the scorpion can't help it. It's what he does. Exactly. He, he can't help it. He can't help it. It's it's this sort of competitiveness, which was the French technosphere. I was really struck by some of the briefing into the summit in Paris when they talked about the fact that one key area to be resolved is the right of school trips from France to come to Britain. I mean, it seems almost you know, a tiny thing to worry about, but that was quite important to the French government. 
Well, the British will mention the fact that they need a number of things because they have to pay school fees, and it may be a certain type of Britain. Whenever I try to explain this to the French, the French tell me, but, you know, what does it matter? And I say, you have no idea how much this decides uh, economic decisions in Britain for a the certain part of society. And, and for the French, they want their children to do well at school. They understand that the French are unable to teach English properly in France. And so the school trips are actually essential Again, we're talking about exactly the same sharp-elbowed middle classes. For them, it matters a lot because it means that their children will, first of all, do well at school at university, but they will be more open to the world. And, and it's, it's key for them. We don't pay really for schools in France and not very much because it's subsidized. But, but language, that's huge. And do you think the two countries can ever really get on or will there always be this friendly rivalry? I think of late there's been more rivalry. I think actually we absolutely can get on. I mean, honestly, I think the onus is on us this time because we, if France is managers next time to cuff up a president who sort of doesn't talk from both sides of his mouth, uh, and I'm thinking of Ukraine here, I think it will be much easier. But there is a French tradition, very well known in French foreign affairs, and which is embodied right now by the former foreign minister, still advises Emmanuel Macron. And we have, you know, we're intelligent. We cannot believe that there are such things, simple things, and I'm quoting him, values, honor, you know, that complicates matters. It's useless to pay attention to that. And that's Hubert Védrine talking at the Conversation Tocqueville six months ago. So that's one thing in which France and Britain will not work together. Well, Anne-Elizabeth Moutet, thank you for joining us today on Chopper's Politics podcast from Paris. Au revoir. Au revoir and à bientôt. Well, that's all for this week, listeners. If you want to get in touch about the small boats issue, illegal migration, or even Brexit, please contact me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk, or on Twitter, we're at chopperspodcast. Thank you to my guests this week, Yvette Cooper, MP, Damien Green, MP, and Anne-Elizabeth Moutet. Thank you to my producers, Louisa Wells and Giles Gear. Thank you to Dia Chakrabarty for her help with her podcast, advising on it this week. But most importantly of all, thank you to you for listening. To keep track of all the best Westminster gossip on who's up, who's down, please sign up to my daily Chopper's Politics newsletter. It goes straight into your email inbox every weekday. The link for that will be in the show notes this episode. And don't forget my weekly Peterborough Diary Gossip column out on Fridays at 7pm online or in Saturday's newspaper. And finally, if you can, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph. I know you won't regret it. Until next time, though, cheerio! 